0: Gotta tell
1: somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this.
2: That. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable Big
1: Daddy. Remarkable. 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 Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from obscure and niche sports documentaries with special guest, director of content and thought leadership at Clary, Devin Reed.
2: Former One is open for business again. You know, away we go. Can you play every point like your life depends on it? Do you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders? When it comes together, it's beautiful.
1: Devin, how are you? Yo,
2: what's going on? I'm good, and I got excited just on the topic alone because you just read my answer when people are like, hey, what have you been watching? What are you into? I'm like, I've been watching obscure and niche sports documentaries on Netflix. And they're like, okay, yeah, so why? So we can talk about why today and what it means for marketing.
1: And who better to talk about it than the reader himself, Devin, obviously, you have a massive following on your newsletter, which comes highly recommended uh, from myself and the rest of the team here at Caspian, and also doing really cool stuff at Clary. So before we get into that, tell us just a little bit about uh, what you do at Clary and a little bit about the reader.
2: Yeah, so head of content, responsible for category, brand, and pipeline contribution. So kind of the full gamut there. Oftentimes, people be like, oh, this is Devin, head of content. He runs all things content. And I'm like, no, 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 that would be insanity because that's so much of marketing is content. But you can kind of think of it as like mostly the top of funnel activities. So we're doing the category play. So a lot of the category content, obviously thought leadership, which is a kind of type of content, all the way down to the more tactical things and channels. So customer marketing, blog, trying to remember, podcast, trying to remember, social media, exec social media, trying to remember. The laundry list is long. But if you're seeing
1: Clary in and around town, it's a good chances from my team, and if you go to the reader.co, you can check out the newsletter, which is fantastic how many How many people are following along in your journey at this point? So I'm about to cross twelve
2: thousand. Growth has been really great the last two to four months, I would say. It's gone from like nine thousand to twelve thousand, so I'm really stoked on. It. I've been running it for about two and a half years, and so yeah, man it's it's fun every week. I'm under the gun, so to speak, to write like 500 words, publish it, get feedback. And I like the pressure that it kind of gives me every week. Some weeks, I kind of want to take it off. Like, you know, the gym, you're like, ah, I just love to skip today. But it doesn't let me. And so tell me to be a great writer, uh, a better writer for sure. And then, of course, the feedback in the community
1: has been great. You know, it's funny. I heard Seth Godin wrote this a long time ago, talking about his newsletter that he writes. He writes it every day. And he was like, once you get to the point where you stop thinking about if you're going to write, but what you're going to write, like that's a huge turning point. Uh, and I always love that. Yes. I'm happy when it's Wednesday and I'm like, already got my idea
2: and I'm like, ready to go. And then there's other days, like today, where I'm like, I've got like seven things I could write about, but I kind of got the kids to do too. And I got all these other things. So after this, I'm grabbing a cup of coffee, and I'm going to knock it out. And maybe what I write about happens in the next 45 minutes. I don't know.
1: Can I tell you just one thing on this? Because I know so many like content people, you know, listen to this show, and and marketers who are all trying to figure out what to write on a given time. I think that one of the biggest problems with content creation is that like it's okay to be short. It's okay to be crazy short. It's okay if your newsletter is one sentence one week. And I think that like so often we fill these buckets. But it's like if you're done saying what you have to say, like that's fine. I
2: tell my team on the opposite side too, where you know I review a lot of the content, and they're like, "Is it too long?" I'm like, there's not really such thing as too long. The Godfather is one of the most revered films of all time. I think it's like two and a half, almost three hours. And if you, anyone familiar with Bollywood, every movie is three and a half hours with like a halftime. I know it's called intermission. I call it halftime. And those are phenomenally successful. So it's like, it's not about length. It's about potency and pace. To your point, how much value, insight, actionable tips is in as few words as possible. And is it, kind of a breeze to read or a breeze to watch where you're not checking your watch, like, ah, crap, there's still an hour left in this movie. So that's how I kind of think about it.
1: Well, and I think that movies are made of scenes, right? Like, they're made of small little clips of things that are happening that are propelling the story. And I think so often when we write something that's super long, we're not writing it that way. We're writing something that, like, takes forever to get to a payoff, whereas you know, movies are, are collections of of scenes, and you know what else is collections of scenes, is niche and obscure sports documentaries. <laughs> Look at what, that transition. This is what we're going to be talking about today. So why the heck did you choose this of all topics? Why is this your obsession these days? So if I
2: remember the prompt,
1: man, it was months ago
2: now since we started this conversation, but it was like, some, I think it was our storytelling. I think you would ask me like, what were you, what type of marketing are you watching? Or something, something about like, what were you consuming in like, you know, through line to marketing. How's that for a prompt recap? And at the time, I told you I was watching The Great British Bake Off, one of my all-time favorites, but that season's over. The actual um, sponge itself is slightly overbaked, as I can see, I see just there. I, I led with that one, I think. And then I was like, and I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'm watching these niche sports documentaries. And the reason why is one, I love sports. That's not too uncommon for men, I would say, at least, or even just people. But what I've realized I really like is the story behind the story. So, yeah, there's the dream team, if anyone remembers the dream team from Olympic basketball. Like, that is a good story. You know, team gets formed, practices some, goes to Olympics, wins the gold. Like, that's really cool. The redeem team is the team afterwards that came, did the same thing, but instead of gold, they got bronze. A U.S. squad with NBA players lost for the first time ever in the Olympics. And I know I'm using basketball, which is not niche, by the way. I'm just giving an example to to the story behind the story. And so it's like, well, why did they lose? Hold on, we got third? Like some people just get mad, tweet mean things, and they move on with their day. I get super curious. I'm like, what happened? How did we get the best, or supposedly best basketball players in the world? And we, for the first time in like 30, 40 years, didn't win the gold. It was ugly to watch. It was terrible to be a part of. And then the Netflix is like, hey, we got a documentary on that. I'm like, yeah, sign me up. I'll stop what I'm doing and watching that. Oh, my God. It was like, oh, ain't no way. Ain't no way we losing this game. So it started with the Redeem team, and then it moved into, like, I watched all the, you know, kind of all the football ones that I liked and all the basketball ones, and then I, like, one of them was called Losers, and it was about this boxing champion. And the thing opens up with, like, you know, what do you expect, right? Boxing champion. You're thinking, like, a youth. What did he go through? Who did he beat? And he's champion. No, it started at him being champion and it opened with him saying, I never wanted to be a boxing champion. I don't even like boxing. You're like, wait, hold on, huh? Right? And within 30 seconds, I'm like, cool, I'm not doing anything until I finish this documentary because I need to know why (laughs) this is true. That hook and that compelling untold story, that's what I like to hear. Uh, You know, It infiltrates my head and then I can start to use that in my marketing. We're like, how can I use suspense? How can I use a hook in 30 seconds? How can I shock people and move their eyebrows every two minutes? So they they stick with me. And then when the show's over, they're like, so when's the next thing Devin's putting out? Because I need more of this.
1: So the Olympics is this collection of stories that are these blend of human interest plus these like super obscure sports that you've probably never heard any of the participants or any of the people ever discuss. You don't know anything about the sport. You don't know anything about the technique. And then you know you spend three days watching the olympics you're like oh my goodness she's dropping her elbow too far on the javelin like it's never gonna work you know (laughs) and it's like all those little things and there's something that we just love about that little moment in time where i can just learn all i can know about this one specific thing and then just be a fan that and hope that they win or hope that they succeed or hope that you know you learn something I think it's true with all sort of like human interest type pieces, but the reason why I found sports so interesting is because there are winners and losers, right? It's all about
2: winning, 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 winning.
1: So you know that that person can climb the mountain or you know, conquer the rapids or they could die or there's something physical that could happen or they could win the race or they could lose the race or their biggest competitor could. She was not expected to actually win the race. And so there's some sort of propulsive element to the story. Whereas like if you were to tell a story about, you know, something else, someone who's, you know, collecting as much recycling as humanly possible to build a giant, you know, fort, like, there's still some type of propulsive element there, but not quite like in sports where you have a logical, you know, beginning and end.
2: If if there's time, if we if we want at the end, I can get deeper into like how uh, similar thing of like going from uh, absolute novice to, to pretend expert is like Mm. right now I'm just like deep in the TikTok world with like buying and selling luxury watches. Yeah, I'm like, a, am basically a pro now. It's been two days of binging. We'll get into that later. It's niche. Because we're talking about obscure and niche, right? Like obscure is like javelin, what, archery. Like these are the like, if we're tiering sports like we do celebrities, they're like barely see, right? They're like, those are hobbies for most people. That's not really a sport, right? That's obscure to me. The niche though Is Ian, think about like getting really in depth. We all know what niche means, but like this, like, okay, I sell to salespeople, right? Let's just say that. So we think of topics that we could be talking about from a marketing standpoint. You have to start with the big tier, you know, tier one sport of sales. Like, that's such a big, topic and most of the top level topics have already been taken by hubspot and other large you know either you know marketing media companies or other big companies so it's like how do i get mind share you know what i mean when there's when it's already saturated with some of that big stuff and so you think about going over to the sports world you say like i'm going to watch a documentary on running like, that sounds pretty freaking boring i can just run right now i'm actually pretty good at it i can run to you actually not to brag so then it's like okay not really that interesting and then you can take the informative route, how to run like like your gait, right? Like how to actually have good technique. And then you can go the entertainment route. And that's where the word, the niche one had come from me, which was the documentary covers the world's deadliest race. So which one already sounds... Yeah, Meredith's is nodding. At running? You want to hear about running? She's like, what if I said we go real niche and go, what about the world's deadliest race? And that's what the one was about in you know, that like had I had just watched when I decided to talk about this with you because I'm like, how interesting that you can look at running. Well, what about competitive running? We could look at racing, we could look at domestic, international, Olympic. And then there's this race where you don't get anything if you win. Like you just live. And I mean that because people die every time. Like it's in the Sahara Desert. It's like, I don't even know, 40, 50 miles are probably kilometers because it's international and metric system is everywhere, but my house. So it's like very interesting to watch the story of this guy who opens up with like basically his wife has now left him seriously. And she has kids because this guy was so obsessed with running. And he was like, I'm going to do this race. So he's like training for the race, right? He does the race. And it's like, you have to write in a form that you know, you could die and you're not going to sue the race host for it. like, that's how this thing opens up. So you're like, holy, shit, like, Show me the race. Goes through his story. He gets lost in a sandstorm. You know the suspense builds. He gets stuck in a cave. Can't wait to see Meredith's face for this. He gets stuck in a cave. He's off track. He doesn't know where he is at all. He's in the middle of the Sahara Desert. He goes into a cave and he hears these animals. This is gross. Warning, listeners. He hears these animals. He thinks are rats. <laughs>
0: durante mio mangiato animali crudi serpenti He's
2: like, I'm gonna have to kill one of these rats and eat them. Turns out they are bats with a bee and he ate, I think like five of them raw. like he just ate raw animals. To survive? Uh, drinking the bat juice? And everyone's like, oh, that's disgusting. How would you like this? It's still about running. And then he like <laughs> goes out, walks. He's like, I, I thought I was dead. I just walked until I couldn't. And then someone found him, right? Someone found him. And then he goes back home and it's like the full circle. That's one hell of a story. And so it's like, how can I, as a marketer, start with the world of sales or the world of marketing or AI? You know, whatever it is you talk about, how do I s- find that? not the bat part, but all the other really interesting parts of that story and tell a version of that that's both entertaining and educational because I never even knew that race existed. I never even... You know what I mean? There's such a world, a niche world of running. And so yeah, that's like stuck with me for a long time. And I'm like, how can I as a marketer tell that story that sticks with my potential buyer for months or years later, not just for the immediate click or
1: worse, something immediately forgettable. So you're telling me this guy ate all these bats. If this is the origin story of COVID, I'm really going to be this. blown away. <laughs> I saw that
2: coming once I said bats and I was like, someone in the comments. But I don't remember the year, but how
1: awful would that be? The story wouldn't be nearly as this, would be, uh, it, would, it, it would be, you know, I mean, I think that that would be maybe the best story of all time. <laughs> I mean, like, it's such a great point that as you get into the deeper and deeper recesses of these topics that there's more and more fruitful conversations. I mean, I think it's really fascinating that the last dance, the Jordan documentary, which everyone, you know, was super obsessed with because we were all sitting at our homes at that time, not really any new information about Jordan came out, like at all. There wasn't like really that much stuff that was like groundbreaking.
2: I would say it depends on how how well you know Michael Jordan and the sport though.
1: Well yeah, no, That's no, true. that 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 was my point, is that like almost every single story that was told in that documentary are all things that, like, have been told about Michael Jordan many, many times over. Oh, gotcha, previously published. So it's not like they like, broke news about Jordan. Like, they were withholding information about this thing in a way where, like, did you ever watch The Jinx? No, I don't think so. Oh, my God. Well, I'm not going to ruin it for you. Anyways, go watch The Jinx. It's a documentary. Obscure or niche sports? It's not a sport. It's about (laughs) a guy who's convicted of murder. Not really. Unless that's... But anyways, it's got one of the craziest things that I've ever seen happen in a documentary. But so, anywho, you take something like The Last Dance. Well, The Last Dance, to your point, that is the HubSpot-level, Salesforce-level story because you and I can't make a documentary about Michael Jordan, right? If we were to make, like, we're never going to get the footage approved... You know, Michael's team's never going to bless off on it. You know, all those sort of things, right? That's not going to be able to happen. So we have to approach this from a totally different angle if we're going to compete. And I think that that's what's so fascinating about sort of like what you're saying is to capture the attention of people. It's like we can't create the last dance. That has to be done by, you know, a big old organization. But if you're a content team who's competing against those big organizations where you don't have the resources or you don't have that, you have to find the obscure thing, find the niche, find that little that story that you can tell that can be just as interesting.
2: I agree. And I think a a very tactical application of this is like the customer stories that most SaaS companies have. I'm responsible for customer marketing now. I have reviewed dozens of them in my career like as an editor. And the mistake that I see teams make, and I understand why it's the execs typically and chief of product are so obsessed with their product that they want the case study just to say, all the good things that Meredith got once she started using the tool. But that's only half of the story. What people really want, maybe it's just me, you can, you know, you two heat check me. He's like, I want conflict. I want tension. I want controversy because that's what makes a good story. Is like, And I know there's like frameworks about a good story. But to me, it's just, there was a person going to do a thing and then something bad slash negative happened and they overcame that. Like that's really what stories are. Most of these case studies don't have the before. Who was Meredith before? What were the struggles before? What were the feelings that she had before? And then what was the catalyst or the climax of like, why did she decide something has to change? All that needs to be in your customer stories. But most people cut all that and they just go, Meredith was using blank and now she uses our company and everything is bright and sunshine. It's like, that's just a terrible story in general, let alone trying to get somebody who's considering buying a product for 10, dollars $200,000 to feel compelled to like, yeah, I need to buy and I should buy it right now.
1: Meredith, what the heck are niche and obscure sports documentaries to you?
0: Okay, so, I'm coming into this as somebody who doesn't normally watch sports
1: stuff. That is Meredith O'Neill, our amazing producer extraordinaire.
0: So... It's funny because like I have watched some of them thinking like, oh, I'm not going to like this at all. But a couple of the things that really resonated was like how you brought up Devin, like we're interested in the stories behind the stories, right? The stories behind the races, behind the competition. So these like human centric stories, the drama behind it, the people who are like in the dumps, like just you know, got a divorce, his wife left him and is going to go run this like scary, deadly race or like someone who has so much on the line financially and could win this big prize. So that's the kind of like thing that really drew me in is like these high stakes, this human drama. It's really character driven. It's sort of this combination of like sports and reality television, Mm -hmm. right? You're getting this special inside view of like this, the personal lives of each competitor. And what's interesting is like their whole goal is like, It's not just we want you to watch the race or the competition. We want you to fall in love with the characters so that you go and actually watch the actual competition. And that was something that was really interesting. The other thing that really helps me get into them is like, if I were to watch, say, a fencing match, if it's even called a match because I don't know. Um, I would have have no idea. (laughs) I would have no idea what's going on. Right. But in a documentary, they take the time to teach you the rules, the regulations and the like main players in it. And like who's competing against who and where are the rivalries and that sort of thing. So they take the time to really like explain what's going on. Whereas like, if you saw the actual thing, you would have no idea what's happening. So those were kind of like the main two things where I was like, okay, I'm into this. But the other thing that I found out when I was researching this was that You may have noticed that Netflix is like starting to recommend niche documentaries, niche sports documentaries more and more. And it's actually part of like this calculated play where it's like there are actual like articles out there of like, is Netflix trying to get me into sports for people who aren't into sports? Because not only are they featuring more of these niche sports documentaries, but they're also putting them in your recommended section. And so it, like I said, it's part of this calculated play by Netflix to give people what they want, which is sports content, while also avoiding high costs. Streaming deals with these major athletic leagues are super expensive and they can fluctuate, meaning like they can kind of skyrocket at certain times. So like Apple pays $250 million annually around that to stream major league soccer matches. Amazon pays a billion. YouTube pays $2 billion annually to stream NFL games. So instead, Netflix is focusing on what they call sports-adjacent content. For instance, these niche sports documentaries. And the first one, which was kind of their like tester, was in 2019. They released Drive to Survive about Formula One racing in Europe.
2: I, I just mouthed, I have so much to say about that. <laughs> okay, I, have a, I, I love everything you're saying. I'm so in tune. I actually have a little bit of a theory, dare I say, slight conspiracy theory. But I don't know if there's really a conspiracy, but let's hear. It. You'll, I'll let you decide. When you said the first one they did, I was ho I thought you would say the F one dri- drive to survive. I think it actually was was Queen's Gambit, mm. the chess one. I was
0: thinking about That's that. Not real. Go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, Be-
2: because well, hear me. No, yeah, but hear me. Yes, and hear me out. The whole thing for those who don't know, it's a story, a uh, fictional story. Yeah, I think so I don't know fictional. if it's based on a true story. No, okay, so conspiracy. So not a real story, but what I remember was like chess sets sold like $50 million worth or something insane. like chess just which booming all because the show went viral when I saw that I was like the best way to sell insert sport is to make a Queen's Gambit like thing now it wasn't a documentary but even a fictional thing I obviously would still work but a little different than what we're talking about so I think maybe Drive to Survive was already in the pipe we know these things take years probably was I don't know the years between Queen's Gambit and F1 but I was like, that's the signal right there of where we're heading. Is like the best way to promote chessboards is not to tell me about chessboards, right? And we all kind of know that, hopefully. So anyway, that's my first, my first thought. The conspiracy, which is again, I use lightly, is I view it as sports in person. Imagine going to a, I'm a Golden State Warriors fan, basketball. Imagine going to the game. When you're at the game, that's sports. That's a live event. The second it's broadcasted, it becomes content. And sports are growing like crazy right now. And they're moving to streaming. And so I think there's got to be this like play of like, hey, Apple, we're going to pay you know $250 million to whichever soccer league to stream it. And to boost the numbers, we're going to put out this documentary on Messi or Beckham to warm up people, right? They're warming up people. Americans don't know soccer. And I can get all into how I'm into soccer now, or about to be. Right? So it's like, hey, let's drop this documentary, get people liking Beckham, get people liking Messi, understanding the Champions League, all this stuff. And then we come out with the streaming for the whole nation so we can get Americans back on there. So it's not a conspiracy, it's just strategy. I just like to be silly. But I have to feel like that had to be almost too coincidental not to be intentional. It totally is think, intentional.
0: Right? Yeah, because I was, I was looking at just what Drive to Survive did f- to Formula One. And Formula One has had like, declining viewership for years and years. And after Drive to Survive was released, it was credited with basically, like, bringing back the sport, which is so wild. So it, like, timing is everything, right? So it's part of this bigger strategy, just like you were saying, to increase popularity and viewership in these sports that just don't get as much attention. So that was released in 2019, right? And then 2020, pandemic comes around and, it di- like, disrupts all of the, like, athletic schedules and everything like that and so people are still wanting sports content but sports aren't happening and so it's like all of a sudden all of these documentaries just became super super popular
2: to, to your point on what did what did it do for f1 I went from hating NASCAR associating all of said sports as like dumb to watching f1 races like oh the the Moro- the, the Monaco or Morocco, race is on at you know, 6 in the morning. Well, I'm up with my two-year-old anyway. Let's put it on TV and watch because we like Hamilton from the Mercedes team. And like two or three months, we had that shift. Now, I'm admittedly not on ESPN reading and watching and all that. I don't have time and my interest isn't that high. But if, if you tell me there's an F1 race on and I'm I'm able to watch, I will turn it on to your point, Meredith, to watch Hamilton. I love that guy.
0: Yes. Watch what do teams. you love about him?
2: I mean, where do we start? Where do we start? <laughs> This guy is the whole package, ham sandwich, absolutely (laughs) just. The swagger is the first thing, like as an athlete, his excellence. The guy wins. He has integrity. He knows who he is. He's like, stays true to his brand. And I would say like a bit of an activist. I don't know a ton about that, but I know he like is outspoken to represent his culture and ethnicity, if that's the exact right phrasing. And so it's like, and he's on Mercedes, like who doesn't want to drive a Mercedes Benz? Like the guy's just freaking cool. And so when you watch him, you're like, yeah, I want that guy to win. And then what is it? Max Verbal Chap or whatever. is like? I know it's not his last name. I don't know how to say (laughs) him. (laughs) On Red Bull, I'm like, screw that guy. I don't like him. You know, rooting against him, even though I've never met him. He's probably a great guy, great driver. But like, I went from literally F1's dumb, put it with NASCAR, don't talk to me about it to everything I just said. And like,
1: literally after one season or half a season of F1 drive to survive. So a couple of things that I think are super fascinating about all the stuff you said. So number one, the fact that Queen's Gambit was fiction is the thing that I say all the time about B2B marketing and B2B content is that nobody does fiction. And obviously, you know, Devin, you and I know that I'm on this big fiction kick. But the reason why is because you control the narrative, you control the characters, you control everything, and you can tell the exact story that you want rather than, Finding the story and finding a story is incredibly hard. Like, for example, true crime. All these people are out there trying to find all these old crimes and cold cases and all these things that haven't been solved, which is very hard. Then you have to investigate them. That it has to like turn into a story. Then you have to tell that story the right way. Whereas, like, if you make a fiction murder mystery, you can do that all yourself. So, anywho, it's interesting that Queen's Gambit did all of that with a fictional story that mirrors real life, such that. I didn't know most people didn't know. Most people don't care if that was real or not, or if it was a depiction of something that happened or pulled from, you know, events that happened in real life, you know, ripped from the headlines and all that. So that I think is super fascinating and a really good marketing takeaway. The other thing, you know, that you mentioned about the Golden State Warriors, I would go, you know, even a step further with what you said of, you know, you go from an event to content, and then you take in something like fantasy basketball or fantasy football or something like that, then it becomes like gamification. And then you take into like, you know, sports betting into it. And now it's like, you're actually investing, you know, putting your money in depending on how you feel about sports betting, but you're doing it with your friends. And now you're, you know, doing all these things. And there's all these other tethers back to the sport. And I think that, when it starts with a story, the thing that got my wife super into basketball, we started dating in 2014 and started watching the Warriors. And, you know, I was like a lifelong Warriors fan. They were this team that had never won anything for 40 years. And she just started, you know, watching them. And I was like, we got this young guy, Steph Curry. He's really cool. And this guard, Clay Thompson, he's really cool. And like the Splash Brothers and all this stuff. And then they were together with us for the next decade. And like, that is rare in sports, but in sports documentaries, you get to like live with that person in that moment and in that story and become a fan of them. And they might be done with their sport. They might still be doing it, and it kind of doesn't even matter. You don't even need to stay up with it. Or a drive to survive's case, like you can now stay up with the sport and find new things and find all of that. And it's like there's just so many different entryways into these things. And I think that as like marketers, is we we so often just like take a thing and like publish it, and there's no extra ways that people can can do those things. But it's not just good enough to tell the story, you need to have like all these sort of like layered in things.
2: And I was thinking, Ian, like if someone's listening, they might be like, that seems like a lot of work, or why should I kind of bother finding that niche or obscure story? And the way I think about it is, can you tell a story, can you present content in a way that sparks word of mouth? You know, we're not, I want people to talk about Clary, for sure. But it's not as easy. Otherwise, you can't jam that. You otherwise, like you press product on people. They don't want to hear it, right? They, they mentally unsubscribe. You got to create content in some way that does what's happening right now. Or Ian, Meredith, me, are all excited to tell each other about what we're watching or we consumed and how we feel
1: about it. That's why we called the show Remarkable.
2: Yeah, you know, and like that's what you need to try to do. And so it's like a lot of times when I'm editing content, video, written, pod, whatever... I'm like, at what point is the payoff is the first thing, which is, you know, if it's, I don't know, how to launch a million dollar podcast, right? When I click that link, there's an automatic timer that starts in your head, even if subconsciously, which is, when do I get the payoff? When do I get what was promised to me? And the second thing I'm editing for is where's that aha moment or that oh shit moment where their eyebrows move because there's something emotional, whether it's confusing or not confusing, but like, makes them think. When I say confusing, I'm thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure I understand that all the way. Let me think through that or excites them. And it has to have some sort of moment like that because that what is what makes it shareable. That's what makes people want to talk about it. And that's what makes your content not really go viral for the sake of virality, but gets people in the pocket that you want to sell to, to talk about you. You're either the center of the conversation or what they're talking about. So that's why when I kind of package all this stuff together, that's what I'm trying to do as a content creator and as a marketer is spark that word of mouth. Be remarkable
1: and produce something that gets people to feel and then to talk about yeah, it. we one of those moments that is like the best moments in, in the world or best feelings in the world is if you're at like a really crowded bar or restaurant or whatever, a bunch of TVs on, whatever, big games going on, but they got TVs everywhere. And then you just see the one gal out of the corner of your eye, like throw her hands up and be like, oh, and you're watching the same thing that they're watching. And then you go, are like, are you a Lewis Hamilton fan? It's like, yeah. And you're like, did you see drive to survive? Yeah. And they're like, yeah. Like, and you can instantly like make that connection with someone. And like, that is about yeah. like, that was, was started that little connection. And then those people get married and then they have, you know, a family and then, you know, like all these, and they all become <laughs> marketers. And it started because, <laughs> you know, some marketer that, you know, wanted to create a documentary about drive to survive. And like, that's the stuff like to me that is so, you know, fascinating and, and magical. And there's so much whimsy about marketing is that like, you can create those type of, of things that start the snowball down the hill that allow people to make connections in real life, like in ad events uh, you know, doing those things and making those deeper connections with someone and be like, Oh yeah, no, I saw that too. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it on a podcast. Let's talk about it over the Thanksgiving, you know, table, let's like, let's actually have, you know, uh, a fun conversation about what we like and didn't like and all those things. And we love this as humans. And we're always freaking awkward about everything talking to anyone strangers anyways. But if you put two people who are, you know, Hamilton fans in the same room, they could talk about it for hours. And like, that is like what marketing is about is creating the spaces to have conversations and then putting the impetus like in there, putting the content in there for them to talk about something. I love it, but I don't, know how to, I don't know how to reply to that. I like it, plus one. Is there yeah, a like button? there's a like button. Okay, so before we get out of here, I know you work on all sorts of really cool, different, weird, interesting types of content at Clary. How do you get exec buy-in? How do you think about that?
2: It definitely gets weird. If you work with Devin Reed and content, it gets a little weird, but that's a promise. So I think I have been very selective in working for CMOs and CEOs that really get marketing and really understand either category or brand or both. So I kind of want to put that caveat, like I'm picking these people and working with them so I don't have the like just blatant naysayers to doing anything marketing, let alone cool marketing. But the first thing I do is like, start with that aspirational thing. What if? What if we launched a podcast that people actually love to listen to and they couldn't stop talking about us? That's like, CEO's like, I like this, go on, right? So. I kind of try to paint this like either starting with what's broken, like, hey, we've been doing X, Y, Z, it's not working. I know it's safe, but what if, right? So kind of the before and after a little bit I was talking about earlier for telling stories is like the before into the after. Now, other than getting, you know, I don't have time to go too deep into like all the ways you can measure it. But the thing that I told my CEO this week, as we're talking about as it pertains to his social strategy and like some of the decisions we're making is our goal isn't just to drive pipeline for all of the things we do in marketing. A lot of what I'm focused on is to get people to know, like, and trust us. Know is familiarity. I see Meredith's picture on LinkedIn. I see or hear Ian's name. I understand who that is, right? Like, I enjoy hearing from them. They don't irritate me. I enjoy their company. And trust is the most important, and that's where that expertise comes in. Do you really know how to produce a podcast, you really know how to run revenue for our CEO. And when you prove your expertise, when you prove that you're likable, and that you're familiar, that's when people trust you and want to buy from you. You can't start with the last thing. You can't force or manufacture trust. You can build it intentionally, but it does take time. And so the way I would think of it is like, as you're presenting your you know big, cool, shiny, different, weird idea, paint that before and after picture and then remind them we're here to get people to know like and trust us because when they trust us they'll either come and buy from us right now or later when you know there's a closed door meeting and you know hey we've got gaps in our revenue process what should we do is mentioned by our target buyers they think Clary because they've seen us they know
1: us they trust us
2: and then they come in about
1: devin awesome having you on the show for listeners go to the reader.co so you can subscribe and check out clary.com any final thoughts anything to plug Go watch more obscure and niche <laughs> sports documentaries. <laughs> Meredith. I want I want Meredith
2: to watch one. Okay. <laughs> tell me what she picked and if she liked it. And if you didn't like it, tell me why, because that's always
1: interesting too. You got it. I'll Thanks, <laughs> boss. Great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios. B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies, so if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at CaspianStudios.com. Hollywood-style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.